Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our service. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you that we can come worship you. Thank you that you're alive. I pray that um, we can have a meaningful service today. Please be with me as I speak. I pray that what I have to share could be practical and meaningful to us as your people. Lord, guide our service and bless this day, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. A few months ago, I was on the way home from hanging out with some of my friends, and I was in my car. I was thinking over <clears throat> some of the things I'd said that evening. Some of the things I said were good. It was, uh, it was just normal conversation. It was talking with my friends. Some of the things I said, they weren't really bad, but I was wondering what was the point in saying them. Why did I bother saying that? Some of the things I said, I was thinking I should have never said that. That was a stupid thing to say. I was disgusted with myself, especially the stories I told, especially where it was gossip. I started thinking about gossip in my own life. I hate gossip, and I'm really disgusted with myself when I do it. And I believe God hates it, too. I started thinking about it and processing, you know, why do I do it? Why do people do it? You know, gossip, I started thinking about it more. Gossip is a part of conversation. What defines conversation? Is conversation a personality thing? Is it a culture thing? What is it? This morning I'd like to talk, I'd start talking about gossip, and then I'd like to broaden out and talk a bit about conversation. What is conversation? What is it supposed to be? as I was thinking about conversation and culture. You know, if conversation is defined by culture, then if we have a problem with gossip, we have a problem with culture. Is that the case? I don't know. I still haven't figured that out. I have lots of questions, as usual, about the topic. Um, is there such a thing as biblical conversation? If there is such a thing, is it an individual pursuit or a corporate one? And like I had uh, said before, is conversation defined by personality, by culture, or by other things? What does the Bible have to say about conversation? And what should conversation be to us? I had sort of an interesting time um, doing research on the topic. Um, one of the things I did was made a survey and sent it to a handful of my friends. 
got some answers back from them. And I'll share part of that data with you this morning. Another thing I did was go through um, the Gospels, and I took notes on all the conversations that Jesus had that are recorded in there. Took notes and then put them in a spreadsheet and, uh, you know, made bar graphs of, you know, different statistics about conversations. I've been doing that for the last about a month. Along with that, I've been doing all these three things simultaneously. I took notes on conversations that happened right here at Oasis. Um, each one included at least one person from our group. Now, I hope that doesn't offend anyone. <laughs> I did not keep track of names, or I just simply answered in a um, spreadsheet. And I'm going to share that with you towards the end. But I'm going to start talking with gossip, talking about gossip. What is it? Why is it a bad idea? Um, I like the, first of all, we often think of gossip as um, telling bad or negative things about other people. Um, we all, when we talk about gossip being bad, we talk about the big, huge rumors that get spread, and you end up with a story that's not even anywhere close to where it started out at, as. We all agree that that's bad, and I'm not going to talk about that kind of gossip much this morning, because um, that's, I'd like to get, take it a little deeper than that. I think there's more to gossip than that. There's a quote I uh, read the other day that really summed up that kind of gossip. It said, um, if you didn't see it with your own eyes and didn't hear it with your own ears, don't invent it with your little mind and share it with your big mouth. <laughs> so that sums up that kind of gossip very well. But Oxford Dictionary has a very good definition. <clears throat> it says, casual or unconstrained conversation or reports about other people typically involving details that are not confirmed as being true. What about if it is something you did see with your own eyes and you did hear it with your own ears? Is it okay to share it with your big mouth then? I don't know where to draw that line, but I like to just get us to think. I don't have a lot of answers this morning, but I just wanna get us to think. Why is gossip a bad idea? Talking about, is it a bad idea to talk about other people, period? I don't know. First of all, I believe it's selfish. By talking about other people instead of ourselves, we avoid making ourselves vulnerable, right? It's simply more comfortable to talk about people or problems that we're not a part of. And to tell stories that do not have the risk of making people think less of us. That's the more comfortable thing to do. Are we selfish in our conversations? Am I selfish in my conversations? Do I prefer to stay away from me and my problems? 
is a reflection of our hearts. I'm talking specifically about gossip now and where our interest lies. I think one of the main reasons we like to tell stories, or especially negative stories about other people, is because we like to have interesting conversations. And stories can be very interesting. We run out of interesting stories to tell about ourselves, so we tell interesting stories about others. Is conversation just for entertainment? Talking about other people, specifically negative things about other people, this is the most basic reason that it's, gossip is a bad thing. It's cruel. It's a cruel thing to do to people we love. It's clearly breaking the commandment of Jesus to love our brother. So if we don't want gossip to be a part of our conversation, what should be? What should conversation be? I have a bunch of Bible verses we're going to go through. Um, I'm just going to talk briefly about each one and see what we can learn, see if we can get some definition to the topic of conversation. Let's start in Matthew 12, verse 36. context here is Jesus talking to the Pharisees. He's talking about the heart and what the heart's desires is. He's talking about how the heart's focus is often revealed by the tongue. Let's start in verse 35. <clears throat> A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you, that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of, of, in the day of judgment. Every idle word. The word idle isn't, how would you say, aggressively negative. It's not something that is like really bad. It's simply idle, useless. It has no net effect. He, Jesus just says here that you're going to give account for every idle word you speak. I don't know what that means to you, um, but I don't really get the idea that we're going to be there before Jesus explaining our idle words and just tell him that's the way we did conversation. He'll be like, okay, I understand. It seems to have a negative connotation. Every idle word. That seems serious to me.
Ephesians 5, verse 12. <clears throat> Here Paul is talking about the darkness and the awfulness of sin and the works of evil people. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. Do we enjoy talking about evil and um, wicked things? No, we would never do them. But isn't, do we think it's sort of fun to discuss them? I know I don't want to be part of speaking about those things that are done of them in secret. Titus 2, verse 8. Context is um, instructions for specifically young men. Sound speech that cannot be condemned that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Sound speech. Isn't that a great thing to pursue? I'm a young man, and I enjoy um, telling interesting stories. Sometimes I exaggerate. But here it's talking about sound speech. That is something I want to be a part of my life. That cannot be condemned. James 1, verse 19. It's a call to Christians to be the purest and most upright of God's creatures. It's just giving a list of um, instructions for Christians. Verse 19, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. If we were all slow to speak, if I was slow to speak, would that change anything in my conversations? First Peter 3, verse 10. Again, the context is just general instructions for Christians. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Refrain his tongue from evil, his lips that they speak no guile. 2 Peter 2, 
verse 12. <clears throat> Context again is, um, I call it the profile of the pernicious. Just the whole list of evil people and what they do. But these, as natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. Speak evil of things they understand not. I think I do that sometimes. Something that I really don't understand and really have nothing to do with it, and there I am talking about it and speaking evil of it. And that description is right there in the middle of a whole list of wicked, evil people that I would never want to be a part of. 1 John 4, verse 5. This is a comparison between God's people and the devil's people. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. What do we talk about mostly? What, where are our interests? That defines somewhat, at least, what we talk about. <clears throat> so the Bible has a bit to say about conversation. As we look through those, um, these few verses, how well do we compare to the, the goal that is set for us as Christians. I'm going to go through a little bit of the data I collected, um, just making a few comparisons between the conversations Jesus had and the conversations we had. Now, just a little bit more information. Um, the conversations that Jesus had, for them to be included, there had to be a response from the person he was talking to. I did not include his teaching sessions and his sermons. I didn't consider those conversations. Um, I totaled about 93, I think it was, and I'm may have missed one or two. The other thing, I'm not sure about it, is the conversations listed in the gospel, his average conversations. Is that an ordinary day-to-day -day conversation? I don't know. And in comparing the ones um, that I collected from us as a church, most of them would have happened, you know, after church, um, at prayer meetings or whatever, were those our ordinary conversation? Is it a good comparison? I'll let you decide that. But it's still interesting to um, just take a look at and compare them. The first thing I was keeping track of is how many people were involved. Do we tend to do conversations of four or five people or one or two? Well, you can't have a conversation with one person, <laughs> two people. In Jesus' conversations, not all of them, I could not pick out how many people were there. 45% of them, I don't know. 
31% of his conversations were with two people. 20% of them were with his disciples, which would have been a total of 13 people. 4% of them were with three people. For us, we were very close on the the one-on-one conversations. We were 33%. One-third of our conversations were um, one-on-one. 21% of our conversations were with three people. And the rest were more than that. I'm not going to bother going into detail on those. The second thing I um, took notes on was a personal problem discussed. In 24% of Jesus' um, conversations, someone came to him with a problem, and that problem was discussed or addressed. Um, I did not record any conversations like that from us. Obviously, Jesus was more um, capable of addressing people's problems, so it makes sense why people would come to him. But do you think people just came to him because he was competent or because he cared? Which do you think meant more to them, that they're willing to come to him and tell him their problem? Do you think anything would change for us if we showed each other that we really do care about each other. Did the conversation include physical issues? Was it a physical topic? In 64% of Jesus' conversations, a physical topic was part of the discussion. In 80% of our conversations, it was a physical topic, or it included a physical topic. Some conversations include both spiritual and physical topics. Where do you want to be? What percentage of your conversations do you want to be physical? How many of them do you want to include spiritual issues? Did the conversations include spiritual issues? In 65% of Jesus' conversations, at least recorded in the Gospels, they did. They talked about the kingdom. He taught them. He talked about their souls. In 35% of ours, we talked about a spiritual topic. Did Jesus offend someone? Now, not every conversation that Jesus had um, did it specify whether or not someone was offended. So some of this I was a little bit of guesswork. Um, I included yes, no, and partially. Because some of them, by looking what he said, they would have almost had to be offended. And some of them, it says that they were offended. 
or specifically in that one case, his disciples asked Jesus, didn't you know that they were offended by that? In 18% of Jesus' conversations, someone was at least partially offended. And in 10% of them, someone was offended. So in total of 28% of Jesus' conversations, someone was at least partially offended. Now I can't read, I can't, um, I don't know if I'm good at reading everyone here, but I didn't see any conversation where someone was offended. Now am I saying that I want us to be, get better at offending each other? <laughs> no. But I just wanted to point out, you know, Jesus didn't shy away from tough conversations. What does that mean to you? Did Jesus address sin or error in a person that was a part of the conversation? In 35% of his conversations, he did. In our conversations, I didn't collect any that were. Again, we're not Jesus. We cannot see. We can't. Um, we can't see right into the hearts of other people, so we don't know. But again, Jesus wasn't scared to talk about tough topics. How do we want to be with our conversations? Did Jesus address sin or error in a person that was not a part of the conversation? In 3% of his conversations, he did. And for us, only 2% of our conversations have we done that. Did Jesus tell a story? Now, obviously, he told many stories in his teachings, but I was specifically... Um, taking notes on his conversations. In 7% of his conversations, he told a story. For us, we told stories in 28% of our conversations. Is there anything wrong with stories? No. But again, how do we want our conversations to be? What do we want them Send it around. Did Jesus mention a third person in the conversation? In other words, the person that was not there. Now, I'm not talking about when he mentions um, Abraham and Isaac, people that are dead, heroes of the faith. I excluded those. And the same with us. I'm talking about someone else that we, that we or Jesus knows that lives currently. In 9% of his conversations, he mentioned a third person. And in 39% of our conversations, a third person was mentioned. Did Jesus talk about who he was? 
Is there a difference between talking about what you do and who you are? In 25% of Jesus' conversation, he at least mentioned who he was in some aspect. In 11% of our conversations, someone said something about who they were. I'm not here to um, propose major changes. I just want us to think. What do we want conversations to be? What do you want them to be to you? How do you want to contribute to the conversations you're a part of? I'm going to read a few answers from the survey I send out. It was a total of, it was a very short survey, six questions, I believe. The first question, or the first, yeah, first question, in a few sentences, define conversation. One person said, conversation involves two or more people interacting among and to each other in word and expression. Someone else said, communicating verbally, emotionally, and physically with another individual, with both individuals involved. In your opinion, what are the two main things that it takes for conversation to happen? One person said, vulnerability and honesty. Another one said, interest in the topic or the other individual. Third question, what do you think is the purpose of conversation? Conversation is where we learn and grow. Conversation creates connection. Another one said, to enter into and understand the lives of others and build each other up, to enjoy each other. Number four, what makes a conversation meaningful to you? One person said, when valid information and plausible opinions are shared with good humor. A meaningful conversation is one that has a purpose, but also affords the participants the freedom to express themselves. It's the sweet spot between rigidly following a plan and mindlessly talking about whatever. Open-ended questions create meaning in conversation because they force the respondent to be go, go beyond a yes or no into what they really think, feel, or need. Think back over the last three conversations you had 
using your definition from question number one. On a scale of one to five, how meaningful were they based on your answer from question number four? I had um, a few threes, some fours, and one five. And the last question, I should have worded this one different. No, this is the second to last question. On a scale of one to 10, how much do you think culture defines conversation? <clears throat> I should have worded that different. Um, I should have said, if conversation was defined by culture, personality, and setting, with a total score of 10, how would you score each, each one? Um, but anyhow, for the question I did ask, um, I got 110, some eights, and the lowest one was six. And finally, is there any difference between what conversation has been in your experience and what you wish conversation would be? If so, what are they? Yes, there is a difference. I wish we would be more willing to be honest and expose ourselves and our experience, and we would be safe people when we do expose ourselves. That makes sense. According to my survey, 39% of our conversations involved, um, involved discussion on a third person. So it makes sense that um, we wish we would be more willing to talk about ourselves and expose ourselves. Another person says, yes, there is rarely enough vulnerability and honesty in my experience. So I shared that with you. You can do with it what you want. What do you want? conversation to be to you? How do you want to grow? What do you want your church to be? How do you want to contribute to um, the people you talk with? And most of all, um, what does God say about it? And how do you live up to the standard he puts there for you? God bless you. Pretty good. Okay, so last week I was not here. I know who was supposed to have it. Can anyone tell me who had it? Children's class last week? Bobby did? Josh. I think you were the same place I was last week. We were in Rome. I think that was the week before. <coughs> Josh Horst have it last week? Good. He told me he was going, so I figured he did. Uh, does anybody remember what it was about? I wasn't here, so I guess I'll take your word for it. Lying? Okay, very good. This morning we're going to talk a little bit about, it's kind of like lying. It's not outright lying, but it is still lying. 
So I have a story here that I'm going to read, and then we are also going to look at a little bit at a story in the Bible and the consequences that that one had. This one, the consequences aren't near as severe, but the little boy learned an important lesson that he would have benefited from the rest of his life. <clears throat> it's called a penny's worth of character. How much is a penny worth nowadays? Anybody? Is it worth much? Can you buy much with a penny today? No. I don't know if there's anything that just one penny would buy you anymore, hardly. <clears throat> Shane, what happened to that flour sack with a hole in the bottom? His mother asked as soon as he had reached home. She stood before him and pointed a finger. There was a frown on her face. Answer me, Shane, she said as, he looked at the ba as she took the basket from his hand. Shane moved his bare feet restlessly over the stone doorstep. He looked down at his feet, for he couldn't look up at his mother. Did you take that flour sack down to Mr. Conley's store? She asked him again. Yes, Mom, he replied. I thought I told you not to take it. You did. Then why did you do it? I don't know. Did Mr. Conley go over the sacks and see if any had holes in them? His mother asked. Yes, he did, Shane said. Why didn't he find the hole in that sack? She then asked him. <clears throat> he didn't look through all of them, Shane said. You're lucky, she said. But didn't you know it was wrong to do this? Didn't you know you were cheating Mr. Conley for a penny? Yes, Mom, he said. Then why did you do it? I wanted a dime, Mom, he said. If I had taken nine sacks, I could have only had nine cents. I wanted a chocolate bar and a bottle of lemon soda pop. That took a dime. You know, I never taught you to do a thing like this, don't you? His mother said. And then she didn't say another word. She turned and walked back through the house with the basket. Shane's thoughts spun around and around and over and over in his head, for he wondered what mother was going to do now. He didn't have long to wait to find out what it was. She came back immediately with a new sack. Let this be a lesson to you, his mother said. Take this sack to Mr. Conley and replace the no good one. Tell him just what happened. Oh, no, Mom, he said. I, I, I can't. You will, she said firmly. Won't you just whip me and let me stay here, he begged, beginning to cry. I don't want to tell Mr. Conley what I've done. Go back and make things right his mother said. You will think before you ever do this again. Shane looked up at his mother, and his eyes were filled with tears. I want to say one more thing, Mom, he said. It's just one sack. That's only worth a penny. One penny or a hundred pennies, Shane. The principle is the same, his mother told him. Do you remember that story your teacher told you about Abraham Lincoln? When he was working in the store, he made a mistake of just a couple pennies when he was giving a woman her change. Abraham Lincoln walked miles after a hard day's work to return it to her. That's how important it was to him. It made him feel better inside. It will make you feel better too. Shane stood before his own front door crying. He didn't want to go back. Dry your tears, his mother told him. Be on your way. There wasn't anything Shane for Shane to do, but turn and go back to the store. Carrying one little paper sack, 
the sack was only worth a penny, and he had a mile to walk there and back. As he walked down the road with the sack under his arm, he turned and looked back to see what his mother was doing. She was standing at their front door, watching him walk slowly under the August sunlight down the hot, dusty road. <clears throat> Shane stopped outside and looked in. There were three men inside. Tom Eversole picked up his basket of groceries and walked out. Then Shane walked softly inside and listened to Mr. Conley count the eggs Manuel Green had brought. He watched Manuel Green tra trade his eggs for groceries. He stood in the back of the store so quietly they didn't see him. Then Manuel Green put his basket of groceries on his arm and left the store. Only Tom Crumb was left. He asked Mr. Conley for a sack of meal and flour. Mr. Conley picked up the sack on the top and filled it full of meal from the barrel. He weighed it to see if he had 10 pounds. He had 11 pounds, and he slowly dipped a pound out, watching his scales to see that they were correct. Shane watched, too. Mr. Conley got the second sack. He dipped a scoop of flour from the barrel into the sack. <clears throat> then he dipped another and another as if he were in a hurry. Shane saw the flour flow through the corner of the sack, like water pouring through the holes in a sieve. Whoops, Mr. Conley shouted as he picked up as he put the sack down on the floor as quickly as he could to save the flour. Tom, did I tear that sack? Mr. Conley said, looking up at Tom Crumb. Don't think you did, Tom replied. I just bought this sack about three hours ago from Shane Shelton, he said. He brought me ten sacks, and I looked at nearly all of them to see if they were, were any holes. Shane was standing behind Mr. Conley and Tom Crumb, and they didn't see him yet. These are the first sacks I've used today, Mr. Conley said. See what it cost me because I didn't look inside the other sacks too? You can't trust young'uns nowadays, said Tom Crumb. They're not raised right. Nope, I don't guess you can, Mr. Conley said. But I miss them if they didn't come in here and trade me sacks, roots, herbs, eggs, and pelts for candy and soda pop. I like to have them around. When Mr. Connor had finished saying these words, he looked back and saw Shane with an empty sack in his hand. He looked straight at Shane. Tom Crumb turned around to look. Want something, Shane? Mr. Connolly said. Yes, Shane said. He walked up, his heart beating faster and sweat running from his face. He gave Mr. Connolly the sack. Just one, Mr. Connolly said. Yes, Shane said as Mr. Connolly opened the sack to look for holes. No use to look for a hole, said Shane. Oh, he said with a laugh as he looked, as he started to open the candy case. No candy for that one, Mr. Conley, Shane said. Why? What do you mean, Mr. Conley asked. Don't you want the penny? I brought it because... Shane couldn't finish saying what he wanted to tell Mr. Conley. His tongue was heavier than the wilted pods of leaves hanging over the hot road. You've got a good mother, Mr. Conley said. Shane hadn't told Mr. Conley it was his mother who had sent him back with the sack. He wondered how Mr. Conley knew. He remembered the thoughts he had had about his mother. He had thought of running away from home to make her feel sorry for sending him back to Mr. Conley. There'll be a reserved seat in heaven for your mother, Mr. Conley said as Shane wiped the tears from his eyes with the back of his hand. You'll always be thankful you grew up. When you grew up, your mother made you do this, Shane, Tom Crum said as he rubbed his big rough hand over his bearded face. This is a lesson in honesty you won't forget. 
It gives you a good foundation from your fingertips to your toes. Mr. Connolly, I'll bring more sacks to pay for the flour you lost, Shane sobbed and turned to leave the store. Since you've been so honest, Shane, Mr. Connolly said, smiling, your debt is paid. I didn't lose much flour, and I think more of you than I ever thought of you in my life. <clears throat> so in this story, did Shane lie? It's a form of lying. He did not outright tell a lie because nowhere did Mr. Conley actually ask him if all the sacks were whole and didn't have any holes. The only thing he asked him was how many sacks he brought. But it was still a lie because he knew there was one in there. And he was really, really hoping that he wouldn't find it. So he was being dishonest. You know, there is a story in the Bible where they lied and it had immediate consequences that were a whole lot more serious. Any of you remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira? Did they lie? So by not giving all the money, is that what the problem was in that story? Let me read the verse. It's actually not because they didn't give all the money, it's because they were dishonest and tried to make it look like they gave all the money when they didn't. <clears throat> Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not your, at your disposal? Why is it then that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. So Peter was saying it's, it would have been fine if you chose to keep some of the money for yourselves, but it's because you're trying to make it look like you gave it all and you didn't. And in that story, I think we all know that story, um, he fell over dead and the men came and carried him out to bury him and then his wife came with, she said, the rest of the money. And again, she did the same thing, made it look like they were bringing all the money when they weren't, and she died as well. So it's a serious thing, and Shane's mother knew that, and that's why she made him take that sack back, and it was a lesson that he learned, was able to learn then at a young age that benefited him the rest of his life. In Proverbs, it says, Better is little with righteousness than great revenue with injustice. I think that verse applies. You know, he would have been a lot better off with just the candy bar. He would have felt a lot better if he would have had just the candy bar and done what was right by not taking the one with a hole in it versus trying to get enough money to get the soda yet too by being unfair and unjust and taking one that had a hole in it. Also says in Proverbs, Treasure gained by wickedness. Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. I think we see that in Ananias and Sapphira. If they would have been um, honest, it would have saved them from death. So when you are tempted to do something, you think nobody's going to know, it won't matter. 
um, remember the story of Shane and Ananias and Sapphira, that we need to be honest and um, tell people the whole truth. Y'all can stand up and we'll have a word of prayer. <clears throat> Let's bow our heads, close our eyes, and pray. Yes, Father, we thank you for this another day that you have given to us. Thank you for the opportunity to gather in this way here this morning. Hear from your word, worship you together. Father, we thank you for each one of these children. Thank you for their parents and the godly training that they have. Father, I pray that they could grow up to be different from the people of this world around us that try to get by with everything they possibly can. I hope not to get caught. Father, I pray that you'd help us to be honest people that are known to be able to be trustworthy and that people can trust when we say something that it is true. Just pray that you would bless each one of these children, help them to grow up to love and serve you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Just give it back to your parents. <clears throat>